0: It's good to be with you and I am, it's kind of bittersweet this morning as we are wrapping up our series through the Gospel of John called Encountering Jesus and as we've been going through these messages, we've seen how Jesus has encountered a variety of different people and after they met Jesus, they went away different. And really, that's what we want to be true of us, that we are introducing people to Jesus. And they may or may not listen to us, but our goal is that people would be impacted as we share about what Jesus has done and who Jesus is. And we're going to look at today kind of this final encounter in the Gospel of John, and it's the story of Thomas. And if you've read the Bible at all, you know Thomas has a little nickname, and it is what? Doubting Thomas, which isn't completely fair, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But I hope this will be helpful for you. But before we jump into text this morning, will you just pause for a minute and let's once again ask for the Lord's help here? Lord, we do need you, and uh, we, we praise you um, that you meet us where we are. Thank you that even when we have doubt, even when we're afraid. Even when we have questions, Lord, that you draw near and speak into our lives. I pray that we would be encouraged to follow you in greater ways this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are excited this morning to have a couple of our college students who have gone away to school to come back. So you just heard from Doria. And also, um, Jordan Hall is here. And uh, Jordan, why don't you come up here, here? Jordan, come on, come on. She doesn't know I'm going to do this, but come on. Come on, Jordan. Very good. It's good to have Jordan back. How's school going? School is Great. Great. Well, good. It's good. It's good. So, just kind of talk towards my mic because I'm afraid we'll... Okay, if we don't. So, Jordan, I have a little exercise because we're going to talk about doubt today and I'd like you to participate with me in that. Would you be willing to do that? Okay, great. So, Jordan's going to be a good sport here. So, Jordan, what I'd like you to do is actually, can you like turn around and can you... um, Turn, turn like this, oh, like this, okay. yeah, and just uh, put your arms like this, and in just a minute, I'm going to push you off the stage. Is that cool? Okay, so she's not super cute, but I do have some, I do have some help on this, so, so gentlemen, if you guys could just um, come on up here, and they're, they're going to help. Oh, yeah, we're doing it. This is not fake. This is for real. Okay, so I've got some um, strapping lads here uh, who are ready and willing uh, to help you here. So actually, actually, so guys, if you could just like a- extend your arms there, and um, and Jordan, it's kind of a high drop here. Jordan is just gonna like fall. So actually, actually, you guys need to slide back just a little bit. So it's a little more scary. Yeah, just a little bit more scary. Okay. So um, Bro, you good? Okay. She's shaking. Sh- she's shaking. Okay. This is good. This is good. So on the count of three. Okay, Jordan, we're gonna see if you're able to extend trust to these brothers, okay? All right, so ready? All right, so everybody together. One, two, three, Jordan. Yeah, all right, all right. You can, you can, you can raise her back up. I, I don't think Josh and Marvin even got to touch you there. <laughs> you're not the tallest person in the world, Jordan, I do know. So Jordan, Jordan how, do you, how did you feel like in that moment, when you were just about to fall? Oh, well, I was scared. You were scared. Um, I was, I knew who I was going to look for they dropped me. Okay. I knew who I was going for. So, but um, yeah, I was, I, I doubted. I so, like, are, y'all gonna, are you going to catch me or not? You okay. Know? <laughs> so we're looking at scared and also vindictive. That's, uh, that's fine. That's fine. Robert, get your daughter. Okay. Uh, so, but, but Jordan, like, don't, do, like, you know all those guys, right? Okay. Well, well don't you trust them? You do? Oh yeah. And yet even though you, you think that those guys are, are trustworthy, you were still what? I was still doubting. I was scared. You were still doubting, you were still scared. Thank you, Jordan. Give her a round of applause. Very good. Very good. Why is that the case? Well well the reality is, is that Jordan was a little bit nervous. Jordan had some doubts. Jordan has some fears because of this truth. Every endeavor of faith includes an element of fear. Every endeavor of faith includes an endeavor or an element of fear. That is, faith, by definition, requires us to step into the unknown. To go beyond what our eyes can see. And let's be honest, going beyond what we can see can be a scary thing, can it not? I mean, it, it is a scary thing to step into the unknown. And in our story today from John's Gospel... We are introduced to a character who, although he personally encountered Jesus on many occasions, in fact, he traveled with Jesus, probably even lived with Jesus for over three years. In this moment, in this story, Thomas's heart was ruled by fear and doubt. Sadly, it's earned them the nickname Doubting Thomas. But the shade that Thomas receives is unfortunate. For this moment of doubt in his life actually is a great gift to God's people. For who of us in here who've not struggled with serious, significant doubts and fears and unbelief in our life? Isn't that true of all of us? Haven't we all at times been afraid? Maybe today you're afraid. Maybe that's the dominant feeling of your heart this morning. You are afraid and you're just not sure if you can trust the Lord. And God, in his kindness, gives us this little story, these five verses from Thomas' life that give us a window into an all-too-familiar struggle. What do we do when we're afraid? What do we do when we doubt? No doubt, because all of us are well acquainted with doubts and fears. The most often repeated command in Scripture, the reason the Lord put it in there, is, is simply this, do not be what? Afraid. Dozens and dozens of times in the Word of God, the Bible says, do not be afraid. But this needs a little bit of clarification. Sometimes we get a little cloudy in our thinking about that idea because when the Bible says, do not be afraid, I don't think the Lord is saying that we should never experience the feelings of fear. For instance, you know, if you're walking around the corner and somebody jumps out and says, boo! You shouldn't be like, I am not afraid, I am not afraid. That's that's not what the Bible is talking about there. I think what the Bible says or means when it says do not be afraid is basically we should not let fear and doubt rule our hearts and determine our actions, okay? We should not let fear and doubt rule our hearts and determine our actions. For instance, if you are dropping a child off at a new school, you would expect that child to feel what? Afraid, right? It's their first day at school, new school. When you drop that child off, you would expect them to feel afraid. That would be natural and expected and actually good in some ways. But you would not want your child to be ruled by fear so much so that they hide under the desk all day and refuse to speak to anyone. In the same way, when the Bible says, do not be afraid, it is essentially saying, don't let fear have the final word in your life. Don't let fear so dominate you. Don't let fear be so loud in your heart that you do what it says. Unbelief is essentially letting fear be the loudest voice in your life. That's, that's the essence of unbelief. It is essentially letting fear have the loudest voice in your life. And I'll unpack that as I, as I go. And hopefully that will become more and more clear to you. In our passage today, I think that's exactly what happened to Thomas. At least for a few days, this loyal disciple, remember, followed Jesus for a long period of time. In these fi- this final week here that is recorded in the Gospel of John, he turned up the volume of fear in his heart and he muted the Savior. It was as if fear was on full blast, and he couldn't hear Jesus anymore, which can and does happen to all of us. This story could easily be the story of doubting Ryan, or doubting Tiandra, or doubting Rashad, We can put all of our names in this story because all of us are well acquainted with what it means and what it feels like to be afraid, which leads me to my point this morning, which I think which is what this passage is is calling us to do. We must trust Jesus more than our doubts. We must trust Jesus more than our doubts. And let me say this. Okay, I got three points this morning. I'm going to get to them. Two and three, they're going to be easy. They're going to be fast. One, it's some heavy lifting. Okay? So I need you to really be open with your heart towards the Lord And I need you to have your theological big boy pants on for a few minutes, okay? So, because we're going to be talking about some of the dynamics of the heart that maybe we're not always well acquainted with. So I need you to work hard to listen to me because I think some of God wants to set some of you free today. I think God wants to deliver some of you from this anxious, nervous, doubting existence, wondering if God loves you, wondering if he cares about you, wondering if he's good, wondering if he's sovereign, wondering if he can be trusted. Today, we are all battling in some way a battle with fear in our hearts. And I want to encourage you from God's word with the help of the Holy Spirit, Lord willing, in the next few minutes, I believe God wants to have a conversation with us. So will you receive what God has for you today? I don't know what it is, but will you listen intently, particularly to this first point and really allow the Spirit to dig into your heart and say, Lord, am I afraid of some things that I'm really not willing to admit? So, you hear that and you might think, well, it's easy to say that we should trust Jesus more than our fears. I mean, let's say it together. Let's look at this screen again. We must trust Jesus more than our doubts. Let's say that together. We must trust Jesus more than our doubts. Everyone in this room is capable of saying that. But doing it is another matter. How? How do we listen to Jesus more than our doubts? I think answering that question is exactly what happens in this text. Through the example of Thomas, we see how we can address our doubts and fears. So I wanna give you three things, learning to doubt less. Number one, recognize the root of doubt. If you're gonna doubt less, the first thing you have to do is recognize where doubt comes from. But in order to do that, we have to back up just a little bit. Shortly, so last week, we were in John chapter 12, where Jesus interacts with the Greeks and has a showdown with the religious leaders. Rod preached us through that passage. A week later... Uh, We we arrive here in, in John chapter 20, and in between that time, Jesus had laid down his life, he went to the cross, and he has risen from the dead. In spite of the fact that Jesus consistently told his disciple that this is exactly what he was going to do, the 12 were terribly frightened by the reality. John chapter 20, verse 19. When it was the evening of the first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked. Okay, so they're locked in a room. Why? Because they feared the Jews. Then what happens? Jesus came and he stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. And it is here that we are introduced to Thomas. Verse number 24. But Thomas, called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. So Jesus shows up. The other apostles are there. Thomas is not there. We don't know what the reason was. But und- understandably, when they come back, Thomas's compatriots were eager to share what they had seen. Verse number 25. So the other disciples were telling him, We have seen the Lord. I mean, that's what you'd be like, right? Like, he was dead. He's risen. Thomas! Thomas! You're never going to believe this. Literally. You won't believe what happened. We have seen Jesus. To which Thomas responds, If I don't see the marks of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the marks of the nails, and put my hand in his side, I will never believe. Whoa! What just happened? I mean, this is a guy who followed Jesus. They knew him. They loved him. They trusted him. And in this moment, he says the words, I will never believe if I can't see it with my own eyes. It seems that Thomas would rather believe that his friends were all involved in some grand conspiracy against him than to believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead, which is exactly what he said he would do. But in doubting the disciples, Thomas was not just doubting his friends. He was questioning the word of Jesus himself. You see, before Jesus died and rose again, time and time again, he told his disciples that's what he was going to do – Matthew chapter 17 verses 22 and 23 as they were gathering together in Galilee Jesus told them the disciples the son of man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men they will kill him and on the third day he will be raised up and notice the next phrase and they were deeply distressed which means what they understood exactly what Jesus was saying they knew what Jesus was going to do what is more, Jesus apparently said this so often and so clearly that even his opponents were aware of it. Look look at Matthew chapter 27, verse number 62. The chief priest and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that while this deceiver was still alive, he said, After three days, I will rise again. So give orders that the tomb be might made secure until the third day. What? The disciples heard Jesus say it a bunch of times. Jesus said it so many times that even his enemies knew that he was going to raise from the dead. So why was Thomas seemingly so angry when after it happens, the disciples came back and said he has done what he said he would do? This is where we get to the root of doubt. I think Thomas was afraid. He was afraid to get his hopes up. Imagine how you'd feel if you thought you were following the Messiah and then all of a sudden he's dead. You'd be crushed. He was afraid to feel foolish. What if Jesus really isn't all that he's cracked up to be? He was afraid that he had wasted the last three years of his life. I went around following this guy everywhere. I left my home behind to follow him and he has the audacity to go and die on me. He was afraid to acknowledge just how deeply Jesus had impacted him. Lord, that hurt. You left us. We thought you were going to do something different and you left us. He was afraid to acknowledge all of those things. It was as if Thomas was saying in his heart, if I don't put my hopes in what Jesus said, then I can't be let down. Thomas was doing what we all at times do, namely using doubt and skepticism to protect himself from disappointment. You ever do that? Skepticism is a way we protect ourselves from disappointment. That's the reality. We don't want to trust God because we don't want to make ourselves vulnerable. We don't want to put our position ourselves in a position where God may disappoint us so we don't believe at all we hold back. We allow fear to have the final word. So we doubt that God is going to save our loved ones. So we really don't pray about it that hard because we're afraid he won't answer. And then how will we feel? We doubt that the Lord will set us free from a stubborn habit that plagues us. So we downplay how dominating it is. How bad we're getting whooped by pornography or worry or anger in our life. We just kind of mute that because we're afraid that if we really lean into it and Jesus doesn't show up, we'll be disappointed. We doubt that God will provide for us, so we don't give. We don't stretch ourselves. We don't put ourselves in a place where we need God. Yes, we tip the Lord, but we don't really give generously because we're afraid. What if the Lord doesn't show up? We doubt that Christ will bring us joy, so we fool around with Netflix and think that's greater happiness than Christ. We think that will fill us up when we're empty. We doubt that the Spirit can use us. So we don't serve. We don't lay down our lives for others because we're afraid. What if it doesn't work out the way I want it to? We doubt that any movement of the gospel will happen in our lifetime. Let me just talk from from a pastoral perspective. So we're afraid to send our best and brightest. We're afraid to give generously to global and local evangelism. We hold back because we don't want to be disappointed. We doubt that we can find fulfillment in following Jesus, so we do it half-heartedly at best. We hedge our bets. We have other tactics we can pursue. We don't get in too deep because we don't want to be let down. It's not that we would be upset if God did any of these things. We kind of have this posture, whatevs, you know. It's no biggie. I'm trusting the Lord, kind of. I hope he comes through. But we don't want to really put our confidence in the Lord because we're afraid to get our hopes too high. But here's the thing. Here's the problem with all of that. Your doubt towards God reveals your view of God. Your doubt towards God reveals your view of God. Of God. Or to put it another way, think carefully with me. Every time we are skeptical about the Lord, we are making a theological statement about the Lord. For example, when a situation is tough and we think something like this, this doesn't make any sense. You ever said that? You ever thought that? And I don't mean like, Hey, I don't understand, but I mean like this. This doesn't make any sense, stupid. Think about what we're saying about the Lord. We're essentially saying to God, who brought that situation into our life, God, you are not wise. Because if you were wise, you wouldn't put me in this situation right now because I have a better way. Lord, I know better than you, so if you put me in this situation, that's on you, not on me. You see the theology behind that? It's saying something false about the Lord. Or when we are pessimistic about our future and say, I don't even want to face another day, we're subtly saying, God, you're not good. I just don't think you're going to show up. I don't think you have my best interest in heart. I don't think you're going to bail me out. I don't think you're going to provide me the help that we need. I just don't want to go on anymore. Lord, if you were really good, I wouldn't be here. Or when we feel hopeless and think nothing's ever going to change. (laughs) We're essentially saying, God, you're not powerful. You can't step into my situation and do anything about it. You're just poor God, weak and anemic, sitting up there on your rocking chair, the old man upstairs. You can't change me. You can't do anything about my circumstances. Why do I even pray? In fact, I won't. We're making a theological statement when we yield to unbelief in those ways. And the problem is this this mindset is sub Christian, it's not Christian. Because the Christian life is fundamentally a call to follow Jesus in childlike trust, not skeptic-like doubt. We are called to follow Jesus in childlike trust, not skeptic-like doubt. Mark chapter 10 verse 15. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. What does that mean? Children are by nature what we call gullible. They're gullible. Why? They just take things at face value. They trust you at your word. That's why you can, you know, trick kids with the hey, I got your nose trick. What? My nose. Hey, you took it. Well, that's ridiculous. It, it's not even really a clever trick, but kids fall for it, and they'll chase you around if you have their nose. Dumb little kids. Why? Because they're implicitly trusting in what other people say. And the analogy that Jesus uses, he says, if you want to come to me, come like a child. Don't try to figure out everything I have to say. Just implicitly trust what I have to say. Leave your skeptic-like doubts at the door and come to me like a little child. Now, I don't think this means that those who follow Jesus should never experience moments of doubt. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's not that you shouldn't experience or won't experience feelings of fear or a skeptical spirit. Rather, I think God is calling us to fight so that faith is the loudest voice in our heart. Fight so that faith, not fear, not doubt, Now, skepticism is the loudest voice in our heart. Or to put it simply, God is not calling you to be doubtless, but to doubt less than you trust. He's not calling you to have no doubt. He's calling you to doubt less than you trust Him. (laughs) the question I would really pose to all of us is this. What does the general disposition of your heart towards God reveal about your view of God? Like just how are you oriented towards him? What does your orientation towards God say about what you think of him? Does it say that you think that he's good, kind, gracious, wise, trustworthy? Or does the way you primarily relate to God say, man, you got to watch out for that joker. I mean, he's, you know, he's the Lord and all, but I'm not really going to give him too much of my faith because I think he'll probably burn me because that's the type of person he is. Now, we have a theology and it's not what we say. It's actually what's happening in our heart. That's really our functional theology. Our real theology is how we function on a day-to-day basis. The root, the root of our doubts. The root of our doubts is rooted in what we think about the Lord. Maybe you hear all this and you're like, Ryan, man, I have to confess. Like, you're talking about this. I never really was thinking about it that way. But, man, if I'm really honest with myself, I'm pretty skeptical towards the Lord. I do. I I have trouble believing that he wants my best or that I can really depend on him. What am I supposed to do? I mean, we've identified it, like recognize the root of doubt. Now now what? Well, fortunately for us, the passage goes on and, and you and I, like Thomas, need to do exactly what happens here. Number two, we need to receive restoration from doubt. Look what happens next. This is beautiful. A week later, so the disciples, Jesus appears to them. They're gathered. Thomas isn't there. Thomas is like, man, I need to see it to believe it. A week later, Jesus shows up again. His disciples were in again, verse 26, and Thomas was with them. He's there this time. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. As soon as Jesus appeared, no doubt... Thomas felt deeply ashamed. See what I did there? No doubt. Thomas, get it. Okay, right. But Jesus doesn't reject his fearful disciple. This is wonderful. Here's Thomas. I need to see it or I will never believe. Jesus shows up. Peace be to you. And here's Thomas standing there feeling ashamed, feeling overwhelmed, and look at how the Savior moves. Verse 27, Then he said to Thomas, Go on, man. Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Oh, this is, this is so beautiful. Rather than spurning Thomas, Jesus tenderly pleads with him to turn from his unbelief. Look. Look. Maybe the Lord's stirring up something in you and, and, and you feel, man, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed at the way that I've treated the Lord. I'm ashamed at my lack of trust in Him. I'm, a, I'm ashamed of my doubt and my skepticism, my fears toward the Lord. I'm ashamed of that. Here's the good news, church. Even when you are faithless, He remains faithful. Jesus came and got Thomas. He didn't have to do that. He could have been like, hey, guys, I'm here, and also, you get out of here. I have to put my hands in your side. What are you talking about? Get out of here. No, Thomas. Thomas, come here, man. Touch me. Don't be faithless. Believe I came to restore the doubting sinner. That's what Jesus came to do. And what happens? (laughs) What happens? Thomas responded to him, verse 28 My Lord and my God. Maybe you may be thinking, I've mistrusted the Lord so often, it's a little embarrassing. My friend, just like the Lord restored Thomas, he can restore you. Will you have faith right now that God is greater than your unbelief? Will you believe that Christ is greater than your unbelief? Battle your unbelief with faith. That's how we fight it. And Jesus right now has it extended, his arms extended to doubting people like you and I and say, stop being faithless and believe. I do have your best interest in mind. I do have a plan. I am good. I am wise. I am in control. And I know your life feels upside down. Stop being faithless. Believe. Which brings us to number three. Simply this, remember the remedy for doubt. Huh. Jesus closes this section with a critical statement. Verse 29 Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Do you see the emphasis there? Because you have seen me, you what? Believe. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet. It's simple. Christian life's not easy, but it's simple. The Christian life is of faith. It was true of Thomas. It's true for us today. For we walk by what? Sorry. We walk by and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Hebrews eleven six. 6. Now without it is impossible to please God. Romans 1, 17. The righteous will live by faith. The Christian life is a life of faith. We are believers. That's what they call us. We believe God. We believe what he says about our eternity. We believe what he says about our salvation. But we also believe what he says about who he is and what he is doing in our lives today. We just believe. We're childlike. We're naive. We're simple. We just believe him. Listen, in one sense, what you believe about Jesus is the most important thing about you. If you believe Jesus has saved you from your sin, then you will feel confident and secure. If you believe that Jesus is your Lord and King, then you will obey him. If you believe he is gracious and loving, then you will live in freedom from guilt. On the other hand, if you believe that Jesus is irrelevant to your daily life, you will pay little attention to his word. If you believe that he doesn't have your best interest at heart, then you will call the shots in your life. If you believe that you must earn his favor, favor, then you will live in fear and resentment the principle is this your beliefs drive your behavior friends if you claim to be a christian here's the summary of the christian life believe believe what god says believe who jesus is believe in spite of the fact that this world is a fearful place that can often tempt us to doubt God. If we by faith. Take a hold of what God's word says. Then we can have victory over doubt and fear and skepticism. The remedy to doubt is faith in what God says. Listen to these wonderful promises from God's word from the book of Romans chapter 8. And if you will hold on to these it will change the trajectory of your entire existence. Not just then and there in heaven one day. It will do that. But tomorrow when you're at work it will change the trajectory of your life. Here's what it says. Romans 8 verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Namely, God is wise. Verse 31, what then are we to say about those things? If God is for us, who is against us, he did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? God is good. Verse number 38, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is powerful. Friends, if you believe that, it changes everything. And if you doubt it, it changes everything. But if you're a Christian, if you've trusted in the finished work of Jesus, those promises are yours. They are to you. Will you have the audacity to believe them as Christ calls us to? And that will crush fear. That will crush doubt. That will crush skepticism. It doesn't mean we'll never feel those things or be tempted in those ways. But the loudest voice in our life will be the voice of faith. Look, the future is always bright for those who follow Jesus. Christians should be incurably hopeful, truly filled with a sense of holy optimism because of all God has done through Christ Jesus. Your future is incredibly bright if you're trusting in the Lord. So, where does us all leave us? I think it's a reminder that we need to listen to Christ more than our doubts. That, that, that's the simple point. Listen to Christ more than our doubts. And here's the good news. Thomas reminds us that this is possible. Even those who are bent towards skepticism. Any, any natural skeptics in the room today, just raise your hand, or you're skeptical as a question. you can put it down, you. Know. I don't trust that question. I'm not raising my hand, all right. When we first hear of Thomas in the Gospel records, He's skeptical. He speaks with a pessimistic outlook. John chapter 11. Here's where we're introduced to Thomas speaking. So Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. But let's go to them. Verse 16. Then Thomas, the twin, said to his fellow disciples, great, let's go to so that we may die with him. Thomas, a.k.a. Eeyore. He's a naturally skeptical person Then we have this story in in John chapter 20. Unless I put my hand there and touch his nails, I won't believe. (laughs) But that's not the end of the story for Thomas. Praise the Lord. Although we don't read about him anymore in the Gospels, we do have the testimony of church history. That after Jesus rose from the dead, ascended after those 40 days, he sent his disciples out into the world to make disciples. And Thomas did just that. Church history tells us that Thomas went to India, preached the gospel there, started a fledgling church, and was martyred by being run through with a spear. Well, what does that tell us? In the end, for Thomas, faith was greater than fear. And look, the story of Thomas... And the story of all of us, I hope, at the end of our life can be summarized with this simple mathematic equation. Jesus is greater than doubt. He's greater than doubt. He's greater than your fears. He's greater than your skepticism. You can trust him more than you can trust the little voice in your head. We are believers. Which means we believe the word. We believe what God has said. We believe preeminently in the person and work of Jesus Christ and what he has done to change us from the inside out. I don't know exactly where you are today. I don't know exactly how you're tempted to be afraid, but I know the world is scary. But here's what I do know. An encounter with Jesus can teach doubters to doubt less not be doubtless, not never have experiences of fear, not never encounter skepticism, not never have questions in our heart, no. But Thomas teaches us that even when you doubt, you can turn up the volume on Jesus and turn down the volumes of your doubt and say, no, the first and primary and foremost voice that I listen to in my heart is the word of God as revealed through the person and work of Christ. So you might say, well, how do I do I do that? Well, let me give you three things real practically as we close. I would say the first thing is this, grow your faith. Well, how do I begin to grow my faith? I would argue that the preeminent place in the world today that we are supposed to grow our faith is through this book. The reason that Thomas doubted is for a moment he forgot who Jesus was, right? He forgot him. He forgot he was all-powerful. He forgot he was who he claimed to be. And the way that we prevent ourselves from succumbing to doubts and fears is by saturating ourselves with the word of God. Are you getting your butt kicked by fear? I'm not surprised if you're not in the book. You don't have a regular time of just allowing the word of God to work into the cracks and crevices of skepticism in your life. I need this word to change me. I don't read my book because I am fearless. I read this book because I am fearful. And it teaches me to trust God more than my fears in my life. So brothers and sisters, if you want to doubt less, put your nose in the word of God. Allow your faith to be grown by spending time seeing and reminding yourself of who Jesus is second thing i I know this may seem self-evident or obvious but it's ask for faith i love the story where the centurion comes to jesus and he says can you heal my servant and and jesus says well anything is possible for those who believe and the centurion i imagine with tears in his eyes or a grimace on his face says something like lord believe help my unbelief in other words he's saying i want to believe i want to want to believe but i can't do it help me have you ever got to the point where you're serious enough about growing in your relationship with christ that you've just gotten on your faith and saying lord i want to want to believe help me help me i doubt let's be honest do you doubt let's be honest i'm afraid Help my unbelief. I need you to believe. And third, share your faith. we have been talking about it already. One of the greatest ways that you can see your faith in the goodness and wisdom and love of God is by talking about what Jesus has done. It's like a way to rehearse for ourselves the mighty acts of God, as the Old Testament says. Man, if you are regularly sharing your faith, I would venture to say that you would see doubt increasingly diminishing in your life, regardless of the results. So the way we battle unbelief is one, grow your faith through the word. Ask for faith from God himself and share your faith with those who do not know Jesus. Can we fight doubt today by pursuing those things? Let's pray together. Our prayer team is going to make their way to the side. And if you would like someone to pray with you, they would be more than happy to do so. Lord Jesus, help our unbelief. We, like the centurion, just cast ourselves at your feet and say, we want to believe. We want to want to believe. Help our unbelief today. Thank you for this beautiful story of Thomas and how you restored him and how you met him and how you gave him the remedy to even his doubts and fears. I pray that gospel hope would be a place where we run to the Savior to be cured from the skepticism that so plagues us. Lord, do in our hearts what you can only do. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together and worship the Lord.